It's time, Bills Mafia. Another episode of Bills Talk with Matt Perino. Welcome into the show. First off, before we get to things, thank you so much for your support and the feedback uh, that we've received since we launched the podcast. It has been awesome, so appreciated, and you know, as always, you know I, I love Bills Mafia, and you guys have, have really supported this endeavor, and I just wanted to say before we go any further, I've really appreciated it. Uh, we have a special show for you today. I'm so excited about this because it's something that, you know, an idea for this kind of sparked in December before this podcast really came into, uh, you know, formed in my mind. And it, it's going to be a podcast with my uncle Tony, a lifelong Bills fan in his 60s now, uh, but really, uh, you know, a guy that really knows this team and its history, is passionate about the team. And just is very interested in talking and learning and dissecting this team. And I thought that he would bring a, an entertaining voice uh, to the conversation on the podcast. I'll be joined by him. I'll be joined by my cousin, his son, Andrew Perino. Played professional baseball for the Chicago White Sox, Oakland Athletics, San Diego Padres, Texas Rangers. I think it's just cool to get uh, a person that was in a professional sports setting. And I've covered professional sports now in the NFL UFC. Um, but I think that uh, having somebody that actually went through the grind of it is super fun. And he's a massive Bills fan as well, was brought up that way. Uh, so we're going to have a couple conversations uh, today. And, and we're going to hopefully make this a, uh, a monthly feature on, on the Bills Talk uh, with Matt Perino podcast. And we're super excited about it. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening for the first time, thank you. Uh, if you've been here before, thank you. If you've rated or subscribed, uh, or left a review. Thank you. If you haven't, if you could do that, we'd really appreciate it. All right. No more chit chat. Let's get to the episode. What's up, everybody? You are tuned into another episode of Bill's Talk with Matt Perino, and we're coming to you this this time a little bit different. Uh, we got a new format that we're going to be rolling out here and trying it out. I'm joined today by uh, a couple of my family members, uh, my Uncle Tony. Some of you guys are familiar with him. We'll get into that story a, a little bit later. And my cousin, Andrew Perino. Big Bills fans. Uh, Andrew uh, used to be uh, be a professional baseball player for the Oakland A's, San Diego uh, Padres. So, you know, every once in a while he wants to scratch that itch a little bit. We start talking uh, Bills football, and I thought, why not get the three of us together and, and start talking? Because huge Bills fans, and this is a good time to be a Bills fan. So I want to start with you, Uncle Tony. Explain to everybody listening – our, our usual back and forth when we get together at family events. Yes, usually when I see Matthew, it's either a Saturday or Sunday get-together. We're having either a barbecue or somebody's ordering pizza or something like that. When I come to town from Rochester, we usually do it for Bakis because we can't get that out here. And Matthew always uh, asks me if I have any questions and then tries to avoid me for about a half an hour until I corner him. And then out of my pocket, I take out a sheet of paper and he looks at it and starts laughing and says, okay, Uncle Tony, I'm alone now and no one's going to know about this. And he starts answering my questions and he tries to be nice about it, but I know deep inside he's probably saying not again. <laughs> Listen, usually when we see Uncle Tony at the family parties, somebody shouts out not again at some point. So you're right on the money there. Uh, Andrew. Going back to this draft here, you texted me late, late at night because you're out on the West Coast, obviously, in California. What did you think of the draft? What did you think of the, uh, the moves they made? Um, you know, I felt uh, pretty good about it. Um, a couple of things that had uh, concerned me last year was defensively, we were one of the worst teams in the league uh, defending the, the screenplays. 
Mm-hmm. So I thought uh, some of the moves they made in the offseason and, um, you know, some of the draft picks I think could help really help uh, defending that, especially so many like New England who we play twice a year, who is, you know, their bread and butter is the, the screenplays, especially now. I don't think their game uh, plan is going to change much, but, uh, you know, something's got to change with Brady being gone. So uh, I think the draft overall is pretty good, and I think our offense is, uh, you know, really coming together. So it, It's funny that you bring that up because I think one of the biggest plays – to really kill the Bills last season was in the Houston Texans game and obviously the third and 18. And that's something they want to take care of at all three levels. And I think that in free agency, they really, really did a good job at all three levels, just throwing a bunch of bodies at a, at a couple problems. I mean, you got in the secondary now, you know, we were just talking to Sean McDermott today and I don't want to steal too much of uh, uncle Tony's thunder because he's going to bring out the list in a minute and we'll, we'll start getting <laughs> at it. And the list, by the way, I should get into this story before we go any further. So on Christmas Eve, um, everybody got to my cousin's house. So all the family uh, was coming to meet for Christmas Eve dinner. It was funny because, you know, it it got off to a rocky start because my one aunt, this was the first time we were going to my cousin's house. She was hosting for the first time. And my one aunt went into the wrong house. So it took a a second for us to get everybody under one roof. But once we finally did, you know, Uncle Tony had his, he pulled out his, uh, his usual questions this time. He actually had them written down. And I took one look at it and it was in email form. And so I said, why the heck didn't you email this to me? And he's like, uh, what did you say? What did you say? Why didn't you email it to me? I, first of all, I didn't have your email address. Okay. And then, <laughs> then you're on Twitter and I don't know what that is. So we're not going to get into that. So I emailed, yeah, it, to my, I emailed yeah. it to myself and then I just gave it to you. Yeah. Second of all, that's not the first draft either. He, that was probably draft number 12 by the time you actually saw it. After <laughs> So I get this, I get the list, I start looking it up and down, and I said, you know what, I'm going to tweet this out and, and let everybody know what I'm doing on my Christmas Eve. And so uh, all my awesome followers chimed in and, and, and really got a kick out of the whole experience. And one person in particular, uh, shout out to Bradley Gelber, I said, hey, go do a podcast with your uncle. And so I've been thinking about it all these months, and finally, we're getting it done here tonight. I'm excited about it because, you know, our people ask me all the time, like, what's it like covering the bills? And I said, you know, it's a lot like growing up because when we got together, I mean, they, uh, you know, Andrew and uncle Tony, they lived out in Brockport. And so I'd only see them, you know, once or twice a month, if that it would be when they were, we would come up to my grandfather's house and usually the bills game would be on and we start talking about football and it really brought our whole family together. Um, so I tell people all the time, this it's, you know, I grew up in, in the Bills culture, and, and that's what we always talk about. And when Andrew and I talk, it's usually, you know, the Bills come up. And so this is a fun time uh, to maybe get together now virtually uh, in the middle of quarantine and talk about it. So bring out the list. Let's start at the top. What do you got? I'm sure Andrew's <laughs> chomping at the bit to get into this thing here. Okay. Matthew, number one. Now, you discussed this on some of your um, shows, but I'm concerned about on the Fromm selection, I know it was a good value in the fifth round, but do you think Bean had any reservations about Allen's franchise ability? Um, no, but I think that there's always a sense of, you know, securing yourself in the franchise long-term. And so whatever these guys think about any of these players – you know, they're pretty high on Devin Singletary. And obviously it's a different position and, and you need multiple backs and McDermott's been upfront about that. But 
there is a belief that competition breeds excellence. And not only that, you know, take aside the, the, the discussion about whether or not they believe in Josh as the long-term starter, which they do. He plays a very aggressive style of football. So he's not going to be healthy all the time. We've, saw, we've seen in two straight years now, you know, him getting dinged up a little bit, taking some chances. So you bring in a guy like Jake Fromm because the value is so high and because I think there might be some questions about what Matt Barkley can do if he's put into the game. Very nice. I thought, I thought the same thing when it comes to Fromm. I thought the selection was a good one. I thought it was a good value. And his style of play, Allen's style of play, it could be a jeopardy sometimes to his health. We haven't talked about this a lot, Andrew. What's your, what's your take on Josh Allen? Um, no, I love Josh Allen. You know, he's a gamer. I love guys that just, you know, do anything they do, they can do to win. But uh, my, my take on the Fromm uh, situation is I'm not a huge guy in, you know, fantasy football or real football and drafting a backup quarterback or a kicker. I mean, our kicker now is putting out some cool videos where he's flat-footed kicking, you know, 60-yard field goals and everything. But um, I think if you look at it a different way, what I think was they keep Barkley, and now Barkley's kind of teaching from and Allen at the same time, Allen obviously being a little more advanced. And if something happens on the road, you know, from is not only – he's not going to learn much from Josh Allen, I believe, right now because he's still so young, but something with Barkley there. I mean, now he's kind of teaching, you know, both sides of the of – the, wheel there so Mm -hmm. and I think also what went into this pick was you're not going to get this kind of talent level most years at this spot in the fifth round and so I mean Bean said going into this draft that they had no plans on taking a quarterback but it was a situation where you know when guys stand sticking out that much on your board and that's even something that before I started covering the team and covering the NFL I didn't really have a, a grasp of how general managers really approach a draft and getting a chance to learn that, I mean, really, especially with the way that they built the roster, they don't really think about, like, okay, what are the best players at a position that I need at this spot? They'll do it more in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round, but it still comes down to, you know, Brandon Bean himself said, I'm not going to pass a great player to fill a need, and that's how he approaches the draft. So I think it was just a situation. And also, I love this kind of pick because it gives you options for a general manager who's made his name on, you know, preseason trades. And so you go back to last year, Wyatt Teller flipping him for a fifth, Russell Bodine flipping him for a sixth. If Jake Fromm comes out here and kills it in the preseason and somebody's quarterback goes down, who's to say that Brandon Bean doesn't turn around and, you know, maybe trade up in the draft, essentially, if he gets a third or second round pick for Jake Fromm. So I think there's a lot of options with him and, and they, they don't have a lot of needs with the way that they built this roster. I totally agree, man. In fact, that was my second part. I was thinking of using him as trade bait, especially if um, Berkeley, Berkeley uh, you know, he's not going to beat up Berkeley. I don't believe that's going to happen. So I just thought there was a, another option they could utilize. Right. And also for everybody listening, uh, I asked Uncle Tony before this started, how many questions do you have? And he said, I have eight. And I have follow-ups to those eight. So, you know, he's going to be coming in here right after <laughs> – each question, and uh, it'll be fun. All right, number two. Hit me with it. Two. Why did the Bills select Tyler Bass? We were talking about that with their six-round picks. They just signed Hodgkin to a two-year contract in August. And after you answer that, I have a follow-up about the money regarding Hodgkin's contract. Okay. All right. So 
Well, let's start before we get into the contract. Andrew, yeah. you didn't you didn't like the 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 pick to go after him in the sixth. No. I don't see many people um, right away being an impact player as a kicker. I mm-hmm. think it takes time in the league, sort of like a, a closer in baseball. You know, you usually go after a guy who's, uh, you know, kind of well-known and has some experience in that in that spot, especially being in Buffalo with the weather and stuff like that. I mean, I think you go after somebody, like they went after Hoshka and somebody who's, uh, you know, well-known around the league. Right. No, I agree there. Uh, we were talking a little bit on the show yesterday, like uh, Tony mentioned, I was, this is the kind of pick that I think that you make when you don't have any holes and it's a luxury pick. And it's also something where one of the big things that played this year because of the whole quarantine situation and, and a lot of the, you know, second half of, of draft season got basically canceled talking about pro pro days, 30 visits where guys come out to the facility and you get to run them through different um, exercises to get a chance to know them. All that was taken away. So the senior bowl, the combine, some of the other all-star games, those played more this year um, because that was the only chance. A lot of these scouts and front office execs got a chance to look at these guys. And this guy, Tyler Bass is one of those guys that they got a chance to get to know at the senior bowl. And I think that that played a a little bit of role. Now, Moving on to Hauschka. So we're, I'm looking at his contract here, and they signed him to a two-year, $8 million uh, extension starting in this year. If they were to cut him, yes. they owe him $2.4 million this year. If they cut him, they have to, own, they have to take a dead cap of, 12, of 1.2. So basically like be eating half of the contract if they cut him this year. But still, $1.2 million dead cap. And then only six hundred and thirty thousand dead cap in twenty twenty one. We're talking about less than two million to eat over the next two years for a team that's um, about seventeen or eighteen million under the cap right now. Uh, with no and and they and they have some maneuverability. I mean, Trent Murphy right now, if they were to move on from him before the season, they would get eight million back on their cap. Uh, and I think Trent Murphy, he's going to have a tough time making this roster. I don't want to steal your thunder if you have a question about him later, but. Yeah. You know, I think that Hauschka has to earn it. And, and I don't think that they're in a financial situation where they don't have to move on from him. And, you know, they said something last night too. They couldn't send Hauschka late in the season out on the field for a 50-plus yarder because there's, there's issues with his leg strength. You can't have that. I mean, if you're in a big game, we get big playoff game and you need a kick, you don't want your kicker to have any limitations. Now, on the other side of that argument, how much are you going to trust a rookie kicker in a big spot? So you're going to have to measure those two things. I put out my 53-man roster projection. I had Hoshka making the team. I could see an argument for Bass. But either way, I think what this draft pick was is they, they, they added a couple pieces. They got their backup running back, which going into the draft was the only thing I said that they needed to do. And so I think everything else from there was just trying to add in pieces you know, for competition. Okay, and number three goes along with that a little bit. If they didn't take – Tyler Bass, would you, say, would you would you recommend an offensive line person or another tight end possibly? Was that something that you think the Bills were in the motion for or something like that that they could actually utilize also? Let me just bring up the draft here, and we'll go through some of the picks that went after uh, the Bills took the kicker, Tyler Bass, out of Georgia Southern, 188. So first things first, one of the, one of the undrafted free agents that they signed, Trey Adams out of Washington, this is a guy that I think value-wise, 
you know, could have been in play at this spot even. I mean, this is a guy that going back to preseason, early on in the season, um, was a guy that was projected to go in the first or second round. He's had a lot of injury problems, an ACL, which is always tough. But as a player, the Bills got arguably one of the top undrafted free agents and probably should have been drafted and would have been if not for the injury. So you say going um, offensive lineman, where are they going to fit in? And I think that that's a, a, a big thing here. You go through the exercise of, of going through each position on the offensive line and your starters are set right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now you're looking at Deion Dawkins, Quentin Spain, Mitch Morris, that's written in pen. You know, there's a little bit more, um, you know, questionable or question marks at on the right side. Right now you have Feliciano coming off the injury at right guard and Cody Ford at right tackle. A lot of people think Cody Ford should be moved inside. And every time that we've, we've asked Sean McDermott about that this offseason, he hasn't really said for sure that they see um, uh, or committed to Cody Ford being at right tackle. So I think that the real battle on the line this, this offseason, the summer leading the season, is where does Daryl Williams from Carolina fit in? They signed him uh, on a one-year deal, former all-pro at right tackle. Um, can he earn a job at either right guard or right tackle? Um, what does that mean for Cody Ford? What does that mean for John Feliciano? Because all of a sudden, if you have Daryl Williams winning one of these jobs you're, and, and you keep Cody Ford in the, in, the, in the lineup, you're looking at Spencer Long, John Feliciano, and Ty Insecki as your top three backups on the offensive line. That's really, really good depth. I don't think Ty Insecki should even be in, in the mix for a starting job because I just don't think he could stay healthy. And so I think um, he, at this point in his career, is the ideal swing tackle and that's what I think he's going to be on the roster for and you got to figure out what's going to happen at the other tackle spot and I think this Trey Adams kid is a kid that you can kind of throw into the mix and see what happens so you know uh, could they have gone offensive line there yes but interior offensive line I don't see how a kid would make the roster and that's a, a question that they would have had to ask themselves at least there's a path to the roster for Bass a John Runyon guard from Michigan he's not going to beat out uh, Feliciano. He's not going to beat out long. He's not going to uh, beat out. Um, he's not going to beat out Ryan Bates. So I, I think that taking an offensive lineman in the sixth or seventh round, I, I, I would have, if they were to go offensive lineman, I probably would have gone earlier in the draft. Uh, but even still with the value they got at those other two spots with Epinesa and um, Moss, I, I, I like the way that they approach that. Okay. Talk about Epinesa. Many of the, Articles in the Rochester paper mentioned that the Bills were thinking about taking J.K. Dobbins, the running back. What is your opinion Wait. on that? So when you say they were thinking about it, what do you mean? Well, in the second round, I guess he was available at that selection. Yep. So he was in play. I don't think the Bills were ever actually considering taking him. From my understanding and everything that we've heard from Brandon Bean, oh. Apanessa was the pick, no doubt about it. It was a run to the podium type situation. He was standing out on their board. He wouldn't reveal actually what the grade that they had on him was, but everything that he heard from people around the league that he talked to, you know, cause he said general managers ex- exchange texts, uh, you know, after guys go and, you know, a little inside baseball, inside football, if you will. And he said, most guys had him going much higher than the bills took him at. Why did you like that? Would you like Dobbins? What did you, what did you think about the pick Andrew? what did you think about uh, Epinesa at 54? <clears throat> Uh, you know, I, I like it a lot. Um, my take was, was Moss kind of like 
that same thing for them? Where was he the guy sticking out on the roster? Or they kind of just he just fell to them at that point. Like, do you have anything on that, or was there yeah. they running back there going after, or it just kind of happened, or something no. like that? That's my question. So third round Moss, they were actually considering once it got to about the Raiders pick at eighty one, they were they were considering trading up for Moss uh, because they wanted him, uh, but but. Brandon Bean said that they couldn't get a deal done. So their, their 86 target was Moss too. And so from, from the, at least from their perspective, and, you know, I've seen a lot of um, discussion within the fan base about, you know, trust in Bean because at 89, three picks later, Cameron Dantzler out of Mississippi State went. And actually that's a guy that from all my pre-draft discussions with a lot of draft experts and analysts, Cameron Dantzler was a guy that was be a perfect fit for Sean McDermott. So for them to pass on Dantzler tells you that a Moss was high enough on their board and the value was there to pair him with Singletary. Uh, and B uh, they don't see cornerback as a need. I think as much as fans did, and we can get into Josh Norman in a little bit. If you have a question on him, I, I thought Sean McDermott's comments on Norman today were interesting. Yeah. I actually have a question about uh, the running back situation. So my take was, and there's a lot, being out here in San Diego, there's a lot of talk about Melvin Gordon and why do the Bills didn't go, uh, you know, stronger off after Melvin Gordon. Like now you have, you know, Melvin Gordon and, and a Diggs and a Singletary. I mean, this team would be, you know, one of the one of the best, I feel like, offensively in the league. Um, so instead of, you know, going after somebody in the draft, you didn't want to go after a wide receiver per se right away. So you want to go get digs, which is better than anybody I feel like in the draft they could have got there. So I know I just know what your take was on that too. In in terms of going after Gordon? And then not having to pick, you know, uh, a running back per se in that in that spot. So kind of what right. they did with Diggs, not having to pick a wide receiver in the in the first round. So just your take right. on I mean instead of like a, a building where I know we're not in a building situation. We're kinda of like in a win now. But anything, you know, you could do to win now, and you have Singletary and somebody like Gordon in the backfield, I mean, that's uh, – I don't know what they'd have to give up for him, but I didn't know if it was more on the Bills not going after him hard enough or he just really wanted to go and play against the Chargers. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, no, I think it's that's a great conversation. And I think Gordon – two things. Number one, I think that the level of running back in this draft, and I think you can rank them any way that you want, but I think the top five or six backs in this draft – um, I would put it at six, Moss included with Akers, Hull, uh, Edwards, Hilaire, uh, Dobbins, um, Swift, and um, who's the other running back that went? Um, there's one more. If you take all those six guys, I think that they all have the potential to turn into an, you know, a floor of Melvin Gordon. You know what I mean? Like a, a guy that's always been a really good running back, top 10 in the league. He's had his ups and downs. But Denver had to sign him to a two-year, $16 million deal. Um, it's fully guaranteed for the first year and basically fully guaranteed for the second year. So there's no uh, maneuverability, which Brandon Bean does not like. So if they did have conversations, and from you know what I heard, there was uh, preliminary talks in terms of the agent and the team spoke. I don't know what level that went to. Um, but uh, I think the idea was, okay, let's – let's not go spend the money here when we could probably have a good chance of getting one of the top six backs. And I think that Melvin Gordon also, and why maybe talks didn't go further if, if they did stall was that Melvin Gordon wanted to be in a situation where he would at least be the perceived starter. And I think that that's 
kind of what's going on in Denver. Even though they have Philip Lindsay, I think Gordon comes in day one and is kind of, you know, 1A in that scenario. And here, I don't, I don't necessarily think he would have been. And, and there's different lines of thinking on Devin Singletary. But my, from my vantage point, the guy averaged the most yards per carry in the NFL last year of any running back who had over 150 carries. Him and Derrick Henry averaged 5.4 yards a carry. And a lot of that came early in the season. But he was, he's a workhorse. I think that if he can stay healthy, he's your number one back. And I think Zach Moss comes in, kind of forms a nice little uh, thunder and lightning uh, with uh, Singletary because Moss is more of that downhill, north-south, one cut, going to punch you in the face. Actually, his, I keep saying it, but his, um, his quote uh, on draft night was, I like to make def- defenders make business decisions every time they try to tackle me. I, thought, I got a kick out of that. I thought that was pretty funny. But, you know, so I, I like, uh, you know, Gordon would have been very interesting in this offense, but I just think that this, this is the kind of situation where um, it made more sense. And I also think that, like, and you guys can chime in here too, I, from my sense, at least in the immediate uh, last few years, history of the NFL, I feel like rookie running backs are having a lot more immediate success than rookie wide receivers. Well, Matthew, that brings me to my next question, and you, you touched upon it. Moss, college injuries at Utah. He had two serious injuries. Are you, are you concerned about that at all? Because the way his, his run style is in the NFL, I mean, he could give a business decision, but when he gets tackled, it's going to have a little impact now. It's going to be a little different than running with Utah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always part of it. Uh, being said that uh, there was no hesitation that – um, usually when guys have serious injuries, they, they mark them in red on their, on their draft board. Moss was not marked in red. So for whatever, however that checked out at the combine, uh, they gave him the all clear. So there's no problems with that. And plus, I think that guys with a checkered injury history, those kind of guys are, are, are finding a home in Buffalo because of the commitment they made to the performance and the strength and conditioning and the rehabilitation. I mean, Trent Murphy, the guy started, you know, 32 games the last two seasons coming off of an ACL. I mean, there's some people that thought he may never be the same again. And you can argue how good he's been. He had two sacks against Houston in that playoff game against Sean Watson, that Houston offense. So um, I think that they're building a brand for, okay, if you're having trouble staying healthy, come here and we'll try to figure it out. So I'm not too concerned about that, but they have depth too. Like, I I mean, I got into a couple battles on social media over the past couple months about, you know, sticking up for T.J. Yeldon. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. I mean, he's coming off a former second-round pick, had 900 total yards in 2018 for the Jaguars, and five touchdowns. And so just think if you would have added that production to this Bills offense last season, I think, you know, uh, you know Frank Gore had a couple games, but I think T.J. Yeldon could have been a little bit more consistent. So I'm interested to see the dynamic. And one thing to also remember, because of coronavirus – and everything's getting shortened. I mean, there's going to be no in-person rookie minicamp, no in-person OTAs, no in-person uh, regular minicamp. I mean, training camp could get backed up. A lot of these rookies might have a hard time grasping their systems right off the bat. I, I could see a situation this season where rookies are kind of strung along a little bit more slowly. So TJ Yeldon could still be in play for 2020. Okay, man, number six. According to the NFL team salary cap tracker, the bills are approximately $20 million remaining in the salary cap space. Mm-hmm. They just signed Brian Cox Jr. and Mike Bell, linebacker. Do you foresee any more signings and in what positions? 
before we get there, give me, give me your, give me your thoughts on that. I mean, you, you remember Brian Cox. I do. Back in the day? What were your you thoughts? Know, I think it was, I hate to say this, but I think it's more of a WWF wrestler type, uh, symbolic when it comes to, uh, I remember him playing, I've seen him play with, with <laughs> Miami. I mean, when he gave us the finger, you know, it was kind of laughable. And I, I think it was more entertainment and a show that is actually discussed or dislike about Buffalo. I mean, that mm -hmm. was my take on it. Yeah, his son actually said, uh, Junior, when he, we were talking to him yesterday, he said uh, he played the role of the villain. So he it knew what he was like doing, it. I think, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's funny. Uh, I just got a kick out of that. They're at 88 players right now. Um, so you're looking at three open roster spots because Christian Wade will be exempt again this year. I don't, I don't anticipate him making a serious run at the active roster, which means they'll try to they'll put him back on that year-long exempt practice squad spot. And then um, – so you, really two, three more players. I can't see it. The, the craziest thing that could happen maybe is a flyer on Jadavian Clowney if it gets to the – the final hour and he's looking to just, you know, hang on or get on with the team. I don't, I've maintained, I don't think he's a culture fit here. I think he's more of a me guy than a team guy. And so I don't think that he would fit the mold, but they also want really good football players. And if they want to really push this thing, I think you go out, you sign Jadavian Clowney, you uh, cut Trent Murphy, you up, you upgrade your pass rush, you upgrade, you know, your edge setting. Uh, with, with Clowney, I mean, he doesn't always get to the quarterback, but uh, he is a really good against the run and, and when he's motivated. I think this coaching staff could get a lot out of him. That's interesting, but it comes down to the money figures. They could afford to even give him $15 million if it came to that. I mean, the fact that he's not signed, he wanted twenty when this all started. By the time this ends, he could take a one-year $12 million deal. Who knows um, how low that'll go. But he's somebody I think is interesting. I agree. Did you have something, Andrew? You, you look like uh, your face had that. Yeah, leg. just I don't know. Just watching him play uh, the last couple of years. I mean, it just seems like he's he giving up before the play's even over. And half half the times he's trying to go after somebody or, you know, I think. But if anybody can motivate him, you know, hopefully it's uh, you know, Frazier and McDermott and those guys. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. All right, hit hit, hit us with it. Big tone coming down the stretch here. Okay, he's circling, he's crossing things off. I love it. <laughs> number seven, Matthew. With the restructuring of Tyler Croft's contract and eliminating year 2021 from his contract, how do you sort out the tight end position? And do you believe Knox can be the number one guy? So I think Knox is the number one guy, no doubt about it. Um, I think Croft is the situation that they put themselves in by restructuring the contract is I think that they went all in on – on Croft with the idea that there's a, there's a ton of belief internally in Tommy Sweeney. So I think that there's a scenario where all three guys make the active roster or make the 53 man roster. And you see a situation where Sweeney and Knox are, are active on game day. If Sweeney somehow beats out Croft. Um, I, I think Croft, if, the key for him is can he stay healthy? Because I mean, he did have that one year of production he had six touchdowns in Cincinnati. That's how got him the three-year deal. Uh, but I think those are the three guys that are in play. Um, for people that are wondering about the, the new CBA rules, and this is something important to clarify, I put out the 53-man roster projection with uh, my, my guy Ryan Talbot at the site. And 
a lot of people hit me up like, shouldn't this be a 55 man uh, roster projection? Because there's, uh, you know, the new CBA rules uh, increase in, but in, in roster size, that's not actually the case. What's happening is it's still a 53 man um, roster at the end of uh, right after cutdown day. But what you do is each week you have the option to call up two additional players off of your practice squad. And so, um, it, but after the game, those two players go right back to the practice squad. So it's during the week, it's always going to maintain at a 53. You just have more mobility. It's almost like calling guys up and down from the minor leagues. You know what I mean? In the, in the, in before, if you wanted to cut, sign somebody off of your practice squad, you had to cut somebody and actually sign them to your roster. Now you'll have an option each week to call up somebody like for that for these two extra roster spots is basically how okay, my so understanding what you're saying then there's only 53 active players on the roster there's 53 it's a 53 official 53 man roster the active roster is usually 46 it's going up to 48 but okay. on, one of those extra players has to be an offensive lineman that's the caveat which okay. won't be a problem for the bills they they activated 10 offensive linemen i think for most of the season i mean Ike Bucker was active for most games last year and never played it down. So, so the 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 same guys that you call up are those the two guys you had to send back down? That's a good question. I don't know about that, but I would imagine because that if, if somebody gets do. called up and you know gets in for some odd reason or something happens and you know I'll perform somebody or has a chance to do something like. Does he have to go back or can you send somebody like, I don't know. That'd be one thing to maybe look into. That's an amazing question. All right, guys. So I checked with my, my guy, uh, my man, my main man, Sal Capaccio, WGR 550. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Sal sports. One of the best on the beat. Um, he has been really uh, plugged into the new CBA and, and all, all the rules around um, roster size and uh, practice squad players, their eligibility and whatnot. And, you know, I, I reached out to him to ask him about if two players are called up on game day, do those same players have to be the same ones that are sent back down? And he confirmed to me that that's not the case. You can send any two players back down off of that game day roster. But if those two players aren't the players that you pulled up off the practice squad, they have to go through waivers which means that there's a chance that another team can claim them. Whereas the two practice squad players, you could just put them back on your practice squad um, right away. Now those, those players can still be uh, taken, uh, but they, they wouldn't be subject to waivers uh, like the two players you'd be putting back down off of your uh, official 53 men. So I have my last question when you're ready, Matt. And this okay. question has A, B, C, D, and E. <laughs> it's not that bad so okay go ahead yeah go ahead Andrew you're going to like this question baseball has proposed using the three division 10 team alignment with no fans Matthew to the best of your knowledge is football headed in the same direction eliminating travel labor starting dates and fan elimination what do you think that's a possibility because of the virus and the way things are painting out now so wait, so I don't, I'm not familiar with the MLB, um, what they're suggesting. So what are they actually? Uh, you want to explain it to them, Andrew? I think they, they put something in play where all the teams are going to play in Arizona and they're going to be based on their location. Is that right? Right. You're pretty close. They're going to have three divisions. Each division is going to be 10 teams 
based on the geographical distance from each other. You're going to have the east, the west, and the central. Okay. And they're going to start July 1st. It's a 100-game proposed schedule. So I was just wondering if they didn't want to play in all the cities. And so the, so the 10 teams are going to be in three cities, basically? Basically, they're going to be based in Arizona or someplace around there. If that's what they were I, talking about. Yeah, I heard it was going to be kind of based off their spring training locations where, you know, teams in Arizona play each other and teams in Florida play each other. Is that not mm -hmm. what is happening? I don't know. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. well, I was just wondering. Oh, if you... Because then I heard, like, it'd be like the Yankees in the same division as the Nationals or something like that. Like, it'd be right. pretty, uh, like what, yeah. They, they would play the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Cincinnati Reds or something like that. Anyway, you think football is going to start later than Matthew? Yeah, I, I would think that football would start as late as possible just because I don't think it works the same way without fans, number one. Not, and we may not get to a situation this year where you can, you can bring back fans, but I think that they would try to hold off for as long as possible for the chance at it. But it's going to be very interesting to see how they play that out. I mean, especially for me personally, I mean, as a person that covers a team and travels with the team, like what's that going to look like? Or would we be considered essential employees and have to travel to cover these games? I mean, what this thing looks like in what is it? Five months. Cause I think the, the, what I read uh, the report from sports business journal was that the projected start date is October 15th, 16 okay. game schedule, no bye weeks. Um, and the Super Bowl would be the last week of February, no Pro Bowl. So they would basically eliminate – it would go literally straight weeks from October 15th to February 28th. So there will be games in Buffalo like in January. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know because what are they going to do? Well, I would imagine if they're, if they're going to be quarantined wherever they are as a group, I think there's probably some – see, that's the thing. I've not read anything about the details of what the – individual team quarantines would look like like are these teams going to quarantine themselves together at like a hotel and yes. they're not going to go anywhere and they only to the facility and you know social distance when they have to go get groceries and only stay around each other and then travel on a team plane but who's flying the team plane how can you trust that person's been quarantined there's so many questions that i think we will have to answer before we even entertain some of this stuff um the more you talk about it the more ambitious the whole thing kind of sounds i don't know but it's the nfl i mean i think that no matter what they're going to probably figure out a way to get going but i think baseball baseball works without i mean you could andrew you, you're the per, per, perfect person to ask i mean i feel like baseball is a sport that would work best without fans i mean it would suck i mean the big moments are still the big moments but you know there's a lot of you know put some faces in the stands and go from yeah. there yeah, and that brings up a good point too. Um, I don't know how the how do the Bills travel exactly? Do they have their own plane? Because that's another thing. I know when we when we traveled, we shared a plane with the Mavericks. So us and the Mavericks shared a plane. So mm -hmm. like, if you're you know if Buffalo is trying to play or the basketball season comes back and baseball is coming back and like that's going to be a, a big thing too, travel wise with all these teams that aren't supposed to be playing in their per se seasons or stuff like that. How that's going to work out? So definitely. No, that's very, very interesting. Um, I don't know if they have a, their own team plane. Uh, I know the Pagulas have a plane, but I'm pretty sure that they fly commercial, but they, uh, they rent the plane, I think. But I'd have to look into that. Um, yeah, shout out to the Mavericks, uh, uh, their cousin. Uh, works for them. All right, did you hit us with all your questions, Uncle Tony? 
Yes, uh, I just want to tell you, I think you're doing a great job, Matthew, and it's I, really <laughs> nice. I appreciate this. You, you have to say that. I put you on my podcast. Come on. I know. I, I know how I this know, works. I didn't even know what Zoom was, Matthew, until I talked to you. Oh, my God. The fact that this is happening right now is a minor miracle. All right, let me give a little bit more before we go get out of here. So, um, uh, uh, I got, I got something. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I want to, I want to get your take on uh, Norman, how he's going to fit in with, um, you know, Ooh. the culture of the Bills, and, um, you know, what the, what they expect of him, I guess. All right. So before we go here, I'm going, or before I actually, when we go back and edit this, I'll play the audio from Sean McDermott today because I thought it was so uh revealing about what they think about norman and here it is yeah josh is um you know josh you know i've learned a lot in my experience being around josh um several years ago in carolina um you know josh is they used to say give a give a player two years and um and you know you need to make a decision as a team in two years and what i learned through being around Josh, I think it was really his third year in Carolina where he really came into his own and and understood the defense and matured and became a consistent player. Um, and so, uh, you know, now with Josh, watching Josh's film where we had the chance <clears throat> when he got released from the Redskins and seeing how he played, there's been talk of a lot of talk of how he's how he played and how his chapter in the in Washington maybe didn't unfold the way that a lot of people had hoped but here's what I would here's what I would tell you about Josh is he is a highly competitive uh, individual and sometimes too the grass isn't always greener from a from a system or scheme standpoint and and culture as well and so um, that's that's another potential example really of you know people coming to Buffalo and, and regaining in this case uh, a better version of oneself uh, with Josh you know he certainly had uh, experienced great success in Carolina um, with our culture there and the system and and so now hopefully to a to a similar culture and in a similar system uh, the same system really um, he'll be able to to regain his form and I know he's working extremely hard at it and and we're uh, we're happy to have him so basically what what, what McDermott said about Norman is the grass isn't always greener uh, on the other side. And Josh basically figured that out uh, when he went to Washington and they played a completely different scheme. They played man, man coverage, man scheme, opposed to what, what he excelled in in Carolina, which is the zone scheme, which takes a lot of the pressure off of the defensive backs, especially the corners. And so I think coming into this situation, culture wise, why I think he's an, an immediate fit is because, whatever you want to say about Norman from what I've heard about him, he's an absolute like rugged competitor. Like he wants to tear your head off. He wants to win games. Like that's what he wants to do. Uh, becoming, you know, an all pro safety, I think was a, a big part of that was his mentality about the game. Those are the kind of guys that this, this regime loves. There's a familiarity with him. He's going to come in. He's going to know the system. There's a, there's a rejuvenation factor to go back to something where you at the last time you had, the kind of success he saw, like this isn't something where you got to get a guy to buy in. You know what I mean? To a, to a smaller degree, I think Stefan Diggs coming over from Minnesota where they had so much offensive success, um, I think there's a, a little bit of selling that you have to do, even if th though they, nobody in the organization would ever say that. But you got to 
Josh Allen's got to prove himself to Stephon Diggs a little bit. You know what I mean? This this offense has to kind of get going, and and, and Diggs is going to be a big part of it. But with Norman, he knows what this defensive scheme is all about. He knows what he's signing up for, and he doesn't have to be the guy anymore. They got the guy. They got Tredavious White, who's literally these next two years, he's playing for a mega deal. So you're going to get the best two years of Tredavious White coming up. And Josh Norman just has to fit into that. I think they signed him to be the number two corner. I think that the plan going in, even if they won't say it because, you know, that they're, they're dead set on this competition, as they should be, um, I think he's cornerback two right now above Levi Wallace. I think Levi Wallace and EJ Gaines will battle it out. And I think that they end up taking three cornerbacks into the season um, because they have a lot of faith in Saran Neal and Taron Johnson to flip outside in a scenario where they need it. And uh, I think that it just gives them more flexibility with their roster. But in terms of Josh Norman, I'm very high on the signing after initially being a little, you know, I watched some of those games with Washington last year. He wasn't very good. So, but I flipped pretty, pretty good after talking to some people. I talked to Dean Marlowe who played with him in Carolina in 2015 and said, he's juiced up. He's ready to, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He wants to prove something. Those are the kind of guys coming in on one year deal. Not only does he want to prove it because of how bad he was last year, perceived how bad he was. He's got to prove it because if he wants another deal in this league, he's going to have to come out here and play. And I think with Trey on the other side, he's got a chance to, you know, do some things, but we'll see. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely think those guys are going to feed off each other and uh, both make each other better. But, uh, you know, I didn't ask to get paid for this, you know, but I don't mind if you ever want to send, you know, some duff wings or bocce's pizza out here. I haven't had pizza out here in six years because I can't get pizza out here. So, you know, whatever you guys want to do. So it's so funny. Hot dogs, Andrew. I, oh, that, yeah, we got the hot dogs. That's, <laughs> that's actually unacceptable because I'm pretty sure I saw the sunburn on your face, Uncle Tony, a few weeks ago before all of this. So you went out to San Diego and did not bring a bocce's half, half-cooked pie. Unacceptable. Now, it would have been a little <laughs> bit of drive from Brockport to get the bocce, so I understand, but unacceptable all the same. Um, Matthew. Okay, go ahead. Before you go, Matthew, tell your father, Aunt Sue loves the Goya Spanish olives. <laughs> Oh, the Spanish olives. What do you even do with the Spanish olives? And Sue loves them. <laughs> That's all we need to know. And Sue loves them. Good. Great. And Sue's going to have her own thing on Twitter now. The Aunt Sue olives and Uncle Tony. Hashtag. Hashtag that. <laughs> all right. Um, this is this was a blast. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do this hopefully like once a month. And I and I actually talked to. Andrew about this going into the show. I was like, I want to involve other family members as we go. We'll get my dad on for the next one. Maybe we'll eventually yes. get uh, my brother and Nathan. Uh, we, my uncle Steve, that's, that's another discussion. I don't know if the world's ready for that yet, but he keeps telling me every time we, we go out to, he comes out sometimes to the events that I have in town and he goes, yeah, you want to put me on the radio? You want high ratings? Put me on the radio. I was like, listen, I'll get fired <laughs> if I put you on the radio. Okay. <laughs> Relax. That'd be great. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate this. All right, guys. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. You too. Thank you.